You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Today, I want to talk to you about, um, you know, there's a difference between feeling free and being free, right? You can, you can be free and still not feel free, right? And so, so the ultimate goal for God, or one of the goals that God has for us, is not just to liberate us, but to actually give us an interior space where we feel free. We feel like the people of God. And so I hope that today's message brings you into that. Okay, that, that's my goal uh, for today. Today, I want to talk about giving because learning to live generously towards God is about learning to live into a greater measure of freedom. It's really about learning to live into freedom. My hope is to give you a biblical theology around giving so that you can make healthy decisions for yourself healthy decisions for your family and for your community. Decisions that are God-centered, not self-centered, that are God-dependent, not self-dependent, and therefore breed God's peace and joy in our life. Amen? That's what we want. Guys, Soren Kierkegaard, one of my favorite philosophers, actually probably my only favorite philosopher because he's the only philosopher I like, says, life is lived forwards but understood backwards. Life is lived forwards, but understood backwards. So guys, today I kind of want to say that that's on some level my story with giving. My story with giving is it's been obedience on the front side that I really didn't understand, and then coming to understand it on the back side. Like if you've been walking with God for a while, you know that there are some things God calls you to that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the front side. And then you do it, and then on the back side, you go, okay, well, wait a minute. Now I see what the Father was doing. Now I see why the Father called me to that. And so that's been my experience with giving. So I hope to share with you a theological understanding of giving, as well as kind of my own story, my own journey with it, uh, because, because my journey has, has kind of been a growing story. So why should we give? Theologically speaking, we should give as a response to the gospel, from an identity as God's people and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. That's kind of the, the phrase we're going to be working with today. So let's start with the gospel as it's presented in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, at this point, God has just powerfully liberated the people of Israel from Egypt, right? And, and they were in bondage for 400 years. He's liberated them, and then he brought them to himself at Mount Sinai. And picking it up in verse 4, it says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. Look at your neighbor and say, You yourself has seen, have seen. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my commandment, then, excuse me, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Notice it says, 
you have seen what I have done. God doesn't say to the Israelites, I saw what you did to the Egyptians, right? Because the Israelites really didn't do anything at all, right? What is he drawing their attention to? He's drawing their attention to, you're free by my grace. You're free by my power. That's what he's focusing them on. Guys, the gospel is that you are loved just because God loves you. You're chosen just because God chooses you, right? Okay, so hear me on this. God is always the first actor. God is the first lover. So so giving from a gospel-centric place means that anything we do or give comes as a response to God's love. It never comes from a place of earning God's love. I I, want to paint that clearly. So, guys, in the uh, Genesis chapter 4, um, there's a story of Cain and Abel. And Cain, Abel gives this generous gift back to God because of God's generosity towards him. Cain gives this gift in the course of time just to kind of get God off his front porch, right? Let me say this, that's not Christian giving. If you're giving from a place of I have to, I have to to kind of appease God, that's, that's not Christianity, that's not the gospel. Okay, so gospel giving means that we give as a response to a deep love that's already been given to us. How many of y'all have ever seen, read, or gone to the musical of Les Miserables? Raise your hand. Oh man, that is way too few of y'all. Y'all, y'all need to experience Les Miserables. It's, it's good stuff. It was one of the things that my dad took us to. Uh, as kids, he took us to the musicals uh, of Le, or presentations of Les Miserables in several places. But um, in Les Miserables, the main protagonist is a guy named Jean Valjean. And uh, Jean Valjean is an ex-con who was incarcerated in France for over 20 years for stealing bread. And when he's finally set free, he, like prison destroyed him. He's an angry, uh, frustrated man who frankly uh, will never be able to acquire gainful employment because he's a felon, right? Even though it's a, a crazy felony, just stealing bread to stay alive kind of thing. So anyway, he's, he leaves uh, the prison and he uh, comes to this village and he's welcomed in by a Catholic priest who has him stay with him for the night. The, uh, Valjean wakes up in the middle of the night and begins to pillage all of the priest's silverware and like expensive uh, kind of dining room set stuff. And he begins to leave the house when the priest hears him and gets up. Valjean's a much bigger and stronger man and basically knocks the priest out cold. The next day, the authorities find Valjean, and they bring him back to the house. And the authorities begin to tell the priest that Valjean claims that the priest gave him all this silver. And much to Valjean's surprise and delight, the priest goes right along with it. He says, Valjean, I'm very mad at you. You forgot to take the silver candlesticks with you. I gave you these too. The priest are, or excuse me, the police are you know, caught off guard by this and leave. But Valjean is just dumbfounded. He looks at the priest and he goes, I don't understand. The priest says, Jean Valjean, my brother, 
you are no longer you no longer belong to evil. With this silver I have bought your soul. I ransomed you from fear and hatred, and now I give you back to God. The rest of the story, Beljan acquires a, a new alias, a new identity. He takes the rather substantial amount of money that he has just received from the priest. He starts his own business. He becomes a pretty well-off businessman. And the rest of the story is him treating people who are disenfranchised and poor, with ju- the poor with just utter generosity and kindness. What's happening? Valjean is learning to live generously towards a God who has lived generously towards him. That's gospel giving. That's how the gospel works. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings, and how I brought you to myself. Y'all, I want you to hear this. You'll ne- you will never joyfully give until you see what has been given for you. you. You'll never joyfully give until you really get it, what God has given for you. I, I want to encourage you, don't even start by thinking about giving. Start by thinking about the cross. Start by thinking about Jesus pouring out his life as an act of love for you. Meditate on that. When, and guys, I, I really want to encourage you, this is just a good practice in life. Like, regardless if it's giving or anything, just, just when is the last time you just meditated on the fact that Jesus, the Son of the living God, decided he would rather take on flesh and die in your place than to live in eternity without you. Like he longs for a relationship that much. Regardless of what the scenario is, just meditate on those kind of things often and see how God uses it in your heart. You will, you'll shift from a, I have to to I get to because God begins to do that work in your heart. Um... Now, I'm not trying to impress y'all, but I'm going to break out some of my deep insight on ornithology, which is the study of birds. Um, When a baby bird is ready to leave the nest, it's kind of fly or die. It's kind of like you're going off and you better hope those wings work. But that's not true for eagles. Eagles fly with their young. Put, put that picture up there for us, Miss Pam. Um, eagles fly with their young, and so that if their young start to fall, they come up under them. They catch them, and they get them to their next destination. Because life is lived forwards, but it's understood backwards. How many times have you, have you been on a kind of a nosedive, and the grace of God caught you? It caught you, it kept you from crashing, it kept you from burning. Just begin to meditate on that goodness of God. And as you reflect on the, the, the gospel, Tim Keller calls the gospel a good spell. The gospel begins to change our hearts by the power of the Spirit. So guys, theologically, uh, theologically speaking, we give as a response to the gospel. We give from an identity as God's people and we give for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Let's, t- let's talk about identity for a minute. One of the things I hope you realize 
is God did a whole lot more than simply liberate the Israelites. They weren't just ex-slaves, right? He actually gave them a new identity. He turned them into a, a nation of, uh, of priests, right? He says, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Um, guys, one of the things you need to know about priests, priests represent people to God and then represent God to people, okay? So when God selected Israel, he didn't select them in a means of, um, like, I pick you and I avoid everybody else, right? No, he picked Israel for the sake of everyone else, Okay, so uh, the, as a kingdom of priests, God saved Israel for the sake of the other nations that they may embody and manifest his salvation on the earth. And let's talk about how they did that. Uh, part of how they did that was they just obeyed him, right? They, they, they took obedience seriously so they could represent his character to the world. But also part of how they did that was they built this little tent. What's the name of the tent? The tabernacle. What dwelled in the tabernacle? The Ark of the Covenant, which was the place where God's presence rested. So, so guess what God was doing? When he saved Israel, what he's doing is creating a place where his presence can dwell. Think about it like this. Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, presence of God right there, they rebel against God. They're banished from the Garden of Eden. What does God do? He starts over with a man named Abraham because he is determined to once again be with his people. So that's what the whole tabernacle is about. So guys, um, skip on down. Go to chapter 35 of Exodus because um, this is how the Israelites are going to live into that call uh, to, to, to manifest the presence of God for the people. This is Exodus chapter 35. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. And Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded you. From what you, excuse me, from what you have, take an offering for the Lord. And everyone who is willing, say willing. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarn and, yarn and fine linen. Then skip on down to verse 20. Watch how the Israelites live into this identity as God's priestly people. Then the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence. And everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them, notice that, whose heart moved them, that's the gospel. The gospel is not I have to. The gospel is my heart is being changed so that I want to. Okay, so, so whose heart was moved came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its services and for the sacred garments. And all who were willing, say willing, men and women alike came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds, brooches, earrings, uh, rings, and ornaments. And they presented all of the gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Skip on down to verse 29. All the Israelite men and women who were willing, yeah, underline that word, willing, brought the, the Lord a free will offering for all the work the Lord 
uh, through Moses had commanded them to do. Guys, uh, just, you know, free Bible reading tip. Anytime you see one word repeated several times, God is trying to get your attention. Like, like pay attention to that. And so, so what's going on here, guys? It's not forced. They were willing. It's not forced. Their hearts were moved. Another thing you probably don't know about me is I've done some uh, extensive research on the tabernacle for about 10 seconds with Google. And according to Google, according to Google, which we know is a reliable source, um, the tabernacle would have cost somewhere between 10 and 60 million dollars based on today's money. Now my question is this, where do ex-slaves get 10 to 60 million dollars of discretionary money to just give to the building of the tabernacle? <laughs> All right, Randy's like, y'all just get on out of here. Just get on out of here. Here, take, take the treasure chest with us. So Exodus 12, uh, that's good, Randy. So Exodus 12, it says, The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them at whatever they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. Guys, here's what I want you to recognize. This priestly identity was not, it was not, in name only, right? Like, they left as ex-slaves, but as they were leaving town, they left with the wealth of the wealthiest, maybe most powerful nation in the world at that time. This wasn't a name-only identity. This was a reality. So there was an identity change from slavery to God's people, okay? I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. The apostle Peter repeats the same priestly call to the church, almost identical wording. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness, called you out of slavery, and into his wonderful light. Guys, for me, part of the way I personally live into this priestly calling as the church is, is I tithe. Um, I, I want to say up front, tithing is giving 10% of your income to the house of the Lord. And, and I want to make it very clear, this is not some legalistic, I have to or God will be mad at me kind of thing. Right? It is... God does a work in our hearts. So um, that being said, it's part of how I joyfully live into that identity as I'm God's people. He has provided for me. I live from that place of being a, a child of God. And, and I would say um, people that really owe a great, I owe a great debt of gratitude for that part of my life is my parents. And, and, and I would just encourage every parent or maybe soon-to-be parent or whatever to, to kind of think about this. My parents started giving me uh, $15 a week as, a, as an allowance as a kid when I was 12 years old. I was making the big bucks. And as soon as they gave me an allowance, they said, all right, 10% of that belongs to the Lord. We're going to start tithing. So little old... 12-year-old Chris brings his $1.50 into the church and he puts it in the, the offering plate when it comes back, or it comes by. Because, let me say this, 
the beautiful thing was, as my income grew, I just kept tithing. Like, I just, I just, it never dawned on me that this is just not what you do. What a brilliant thing. What a kind thing to teach your kids that when they're young because it's really easy to tithe when you don't have bills to pay. When it's a buck fifty and not ten percent of a real income, like like it's just it's training your mind to be generous towards God. And let me say this: again, life is lived forward but understood backwards. For me, what it really did for me, God used it to help me to value things that were actually valuable. It kept me from really ever developing much of a materialistic heart. That's just not how I'm built. Like, like God has kind of just, just done that in me. And, and I would say this, um, Carolyn wishes I was a little more materialistic and would buy nicer clothes, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, that's, you know, um, I am wearing Don Harris's jacket up here. And um, Don, thank you. I appreciate that. But the point is, guys, is God uses that stuff to make us frankly, disinterested in things that just don't matter so that we really begin to value what's valuable in his sight. So we give. Um, theologically speaking, we give as a response to the gospel from an identity uh, as God's people and for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Let's talk about the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. What does the word apostle mean? means sent, or sent one, okay? So what is an apostolic church? Or sent people, right? It, what, I, what I hope you, you begin to see is this apostolic piece, although the church is in many ways the modern revelation of the tabernacle, right? Instead of God's spirit dwelling in the holy of holies, now for any follower of Jesus who surrendered their life to Jesus, and are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit of God dwells now within us, right? So, so we kind of carry the tabernacle, but it, it's, a, it's a personal thing, but it's also a corporate reality, right? In essence, we as a people bring the presence of God together in, in, in a powerful way. So in many ways, the church is kind of the modern manifestation of the tabernacle with the exception of one particular thing. The tabernacle occupied one geographical space on the planet. The church is apostolic. We're sent to bring God's presence all over the world, right? That's why there are many houses of the Lord, but there's only one church, and, and, and that's our goal, is to take the presence in the kingdom of God in, in a thousand different directions. So with that being said, I, I want us to skip forward. You're going to go to Acts chapter 2. So go to the New Testament, and then Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you'll be at Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to the heavens. He takes the throne uh, uh, of heaven. In Acts chapter 2, he pours out his Holy Spirit. It's Pentecost, right? Where we become the tabernacle of God and the church is birthed. And so we're going we're gonna to catch the very end of Acts chapter 2, picking it up in verse 42. We're going to look at how the early church lived into this kingdom advancing work. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All. Say all. How many? 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Say all. All the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Look at what's going on here. This early church are now living into the reality of which the $60 million tabernacle was only a foreshadowing, right? It was only a foreshadowing of this, okay? The, these are people who are filled with the priceless spirit of God, and it's now motivating them to incredible generosity. And as a priestly people, these first Christians are, are so revealing the love of God by their generous lifestyle that every day people are being saved. What I hope you hear in that, guys, is a couple of weeks ago, when you invited people in your home for dinner, that was a kingdom advancing work. That wasn't just, let's have lunch. That was, God, advance the kingdom in and through me. I want you to know, guys, when you come into this house and you passionately worship God, that is a kingdom advancing work. This church, by God's grace, does a lot of things for our community, but, but what I want you to understand is the most important thing Mosaic does for Evans, Georgia, is lift up the name of Jesus, Amen. right? Exalt the name of Jesus, because guys, this isn't, and you know what I'm talking about. We get, we get into the, the worship pit down here, and we're kind of going after it, and, and the Holy Spirit falls, and there's joy, and there's peace, and there's crying out to the Lord. It is a glorious time. The Holy Spirit shows up, but here's what I want you to understand. It's not simply, I feel better about Jesus now. Nor is it simply, all right, I can check that box for the week. No, this is about territory. There are spiritual realities. And when we worship the name of Jesus, that is the greatest work of spiritual warfare we can do for our city. I mean, I'm serious, folks. This is the kindest thing we can do for our city, is exalt the name of Jesus. Guys, um, this is an apostolic work. So as an apostolic people, we don't just give money to the church. We also send money, right? We send money to missionaries. We send money uh, to missions organizations. Um, John Piper says, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because worship doesn't, okay? So we give because we want to see heaven manifest itself over every square inch of the globe, amen? That's what we're after, so guys, we give because we want to see the kingdom of God advance in the world around us. But hear me on this. We also give because we want to see the kingdom of God advance in us. And this is a big deal. Our Lord said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The reality is, is money is a great servant. It's a horrible master. It's a horrible master. Guys, it's absolutely true. Perhaps the greatest uh, gift of giving is an undivided heart, right? Scripture says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to see God. Perhaps the greatest gift uh, of giving is just an undivided heart towards the Lord. I'm... Um, 
as I said earlier, I started tithing when I was 12. But if I'm honest, I've always struggled to give beyond 10%. Like, giving 10%, no problem. Giving beyond 10% has always been a difficulty for me. I am a six on the Enneagram, which for simplicity's sake really means um, I'm a worst-case scenario thinker. Like, I am always thinking. Now, now the question is, how does that translate financially? Well, worst-case scenario thinking translates into being frugal as a giver, right? You, you, you're more prone towards saving than giving. Now, some people have said that I'm not frugal. They've said I'm cheap. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. If you can get it at goodwill, why spend more? You know what I'm saying? All right, all right, people, people. Here's the <laughs> My brother's back there laughing, and uh, dad's... All right, back to the point, people, back to the point. Anyway, guys, um, my natural bent is towards saving, not giving. As many of you know, I started seminary when I was 10 years old, or at least that's how long it feels like it's been. Uh, and an and MDiv, a Master's of Divinity, is a 96-hour master's degree, which is about twice as long as most master's degrees. So it just goes on forever and ever. But graduation is coming, May is coming, and praise the Lord. Um, so, it, it's a 96-hour master's degree. It's only provided through private schools. Bottom line is, it's an expensive education. It's about a sixty dollars to $70,000 education. But guys, God has graciously provided scholarships, and so every semester, I typically pay out of pocket somewhere between $1,500 and $2,000. Like, that's kind of my deal just out of pocket. But then January of 2020 came. I was preparing to start my spring semester when I realized that I had forgotten to fill out a piece of paperwork for financial aid. That piece of paperwork, which would have taken about 20 minutes, um, was worth $3,000. So suddenly my semester out of pocket went from about $1,500 to about $4,500. That was an expensive 20 minutes I missed. Um, so, to be honest with you guys, I began to go through stages of grief. First of all, there was shock. Like, what on the earth have I done or not done? How did this happen? And then there was um, scrambling, right? You call everybody you know, see if you can get the paperwork in late and see what happens. No, it doesn't happen. Um, and, uh, and then I finally came to this place of just acceptance. Like, Okay, here it is. And guys, I, I had this thought. I thought, this is the first major financial blunder I've ever made in life, but it's probably not going to be my last. So I'm just going to live really generously towards the kingdom. I, I, I don't even understand how those things made any sense in my head, but I just, I began to think, uh, God, I don't have an expectation that you're going to somehow alleviate this. I like you to, but I'm not necessarily expecting that. But I just thought, instead of uh, living in a fearful kind of crouch and a posture, holding on to my finances, God just used this to kill something in me, to kill that kind of fear and that kind of protection in me. And suddenly, I just decided, I figured, uh, you know, I kind of felt like an idiot. So I would just, rather than trusting me with my money, I was just going to trust God. That was my thing. And so, 
God really began to expand this desire to give. And literally, I started spending time thinking about and working on the details of how I could expand my giving. Only God could do that. Because, I mean, that, that is just not... Your natural response to, I just lost a lot of money, is not, let's see how I can give more money, right? That's, that is only a God thing. Um, but God was using it to change my heart from control to trust, from fear to joy. And let me say this. Some really cool things came out of this, you know. One of the cool things, show, show that picture. I want to show you all this guy right here. Look at my boy. This is Suman Kumar, and um, Suman Kumar is a uh, young boy that's a part of Peter and Esther Pereira's ministry, Hope for Today, and um, you know, he's, he's, kind of, uh, he's kind of my son, I'm just, there's my boy right there, and so I just, um, this is just too much fun, like, I just started um, sponsoring this kid, and, and here's the thing, guys, I'm, I mean, as y'all know, I'm not really the fatherly type. So this is just kind of like this, this blessing to provide for someone who, you know, might just need my material resources and, and might be exposed to the gospel more because God's just kind of working through me, you know? And, and so, so God took it from a place of, like, despair and just feeling like an idiot to just a lot of joy and just like, wow, this, this is a way that God can use, you know, my, my little money to, to make a difference in somebody else's life. Um, but the story gets better. The story gets better. When all this happened, I got on my knees uh, when I realized I had made this blunder. And I, I, was just, I was just praying before the Lord. And I said, Lord, um, I'm, I'm, I deserve this. Like, I messed this thing up. I wasn't paying attention. So I'm not asking you to, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this is not my fault, okay? I'm just asking for mercy. I'm just, as all I'm asking for, Lord, I'm just asking for mercy in this situation. So I called financial aid, told them my situation, and um, they said, we'll look into it, but, you know, we can't promise you anything. So two weeks go by, and guess what happens? Nothing. Nothing. It's a beautiful thing. And then I get home from work on a Monday night. The way paying for excuse me tuition at Asbury goes, you, you pay for the semester at the end of the first month. And so I'm um, getting close to the deadline. I get home on a Monday night. I pull out my Mac. I open up uh, my emails, and I'm looking at stuff, and... I see this email from Asbury. Dear Christopher, the scholarship committee has reviewed your request for additional scholarship aid. It is a pleasure to notify you that you have been selected as the recipient of the Samuel and Mary Smith scholarship. I don't know who Samuel and Mary Smith are, but they get my blessing. <laughs> this scholarship will provide $4,292 for the spring 2020 semester. Suddenly, my out-of-pocket went from forty-five hundred to just over, just under three hundred dollars. It was the cheapest semester I'd ever had in seminary. I said, "I want to see God. I want to see God give, because God purifies our hearts. Give because it gives us an undivided heart. God begins to do a thing to where I can see 
God and see that it was never really about the money anyway. It was just about breaking off any last holding partnership between my mind and poverty, right? It was setting me free from any partnership with a poverty mindset that kept me in a self-protective crouch. He wanted to get me to a place where I was thinking like a son, like a son of a father who has cattle on a thousand hill, not, not just, you know, like a slave. So guys, here's the truth. As God breaks down barriers of fear and we give, the kingdom doesn't just break through us, it breaks in us. Theologically speaking, we should give as a response to the gospel from an identity as God's people and for the advancement of the kingdom. Now, y'all, I just want to say this. I, I realize that I'm speaking to a lot of different types of people in this room. Some of you have been given generously towards the kingdom for years. And so all I hope this message is for you is just an affirmation. I hope you sense the Lord's pleasure, not simply on your um, uh, generous bank accounts, but just over your generous hearts your desire to see the kingdom of God break through in a greater measure. I, I hope you feel that pleasure. Uh, for some of you, you've been giving for years, um, but it's always been a struggle. It's been a, I have to do this, not I get to do this. Um, I want you to know that I believe that God in this prayer time we're about to have, I believe God wants to break some of that stuff off so that you can enjoy giving so that you can do it from a place of my father has all the money in the universe. I can give from a place of peace and joy. For some of you, you've had more month than money just about every month of your life. And this feels just like one more request beyond your ability. I believe God has compassion for you. And I believe God wants to open up a door for you that May, maybe it hasn't been there before. So with that being said, I, I want to talk about a couple of, we're just going to close with a few practical concepts for, for growing as a giver. First and foremost, meditate on the gospel truth. You have to give as the beloved of God, not from the I have to earn God's love, right? If you give from the I have to earn God's love, you're actually reinforcing a lie. But, but if, if, you, if you recognize, if you meditate on the truth that I am the beloved of God, that before I gave anything, Jesus gave his very life for me, man, that begins to warm your heart. It begins to break off those lies so that you can do it with confidence and generosity and kindness. Uh, number two, start giving. If you want to give, start giving. And you may be saying, Chris, I'm so strapped. How could I possibly give right now? I, I want to say this. I don't want anybody to feel like they have to start giving 10% of their income. That may not be practical right now, or it just may not be possible right now, but start. Just give 1%, because as you exercise faith, God begins to grow faith. As you exercise faith, God begins to show up, and you see him show up. And, and you may say, Chris, well, I'm, I'm just too scared to give. And I would say, give scared. Give scared. See God show up. See God do a mighty thing. And then he'll begin to provide trust in you. 
this, is, uh, this next point is not a thus saith the Lord, but it is an encouragement from me. Um, parents or soon-to-be parents or grandparents or aunts and uncles, teach your kids to tithe as soon as they start receiving an allowance. Teach them to, to tithe. I, I swear my parents gave me the kindest gift by teaching me to trust God with my finances when there was nothing on the line. Because that, that has been the, the greatest gift to me. And, and I will say, y'all, I, this is the God's honest truth. I, God has just always taken care of my financial needs. He's just always taken care of me. I, I am by no means a prosperity gospel preacher. I hate that stuff. But the truth is, God uses generosity in our own hearts to breed peace and to breed rest and to breed trust. The, the next thing is enjoy living below your means. Let me say that again. That is an anti-American thought. Enjoy living below your means by dwelling on kingdom investments. Think about what God is doing in this house. Think about how God is working through Taylor and through Epic. Think about how God is working through Jenny. Think about how God shows up on a Sunday morning. Like, don't just give to the house. Dwell on what God is doing among us. When you give to a missionary, dwell on, on, on the fact that that's empowering somebody across the globe to take the gospel in other directions. If you, like for me, I'd, sometimes I just sit there and I think about Suman Kumar. And I'm just like, man, that is just too cool. Dwell on kingdom investments, and you'll learn to enjoy living below your means. And then the final thing is ask and keep asking for grace to give generously and joyfully towards the kingdom. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Guys, we are saved by grace through faith, and we are being saved by grace through faith. We don't, we don't get saved and then change ourselves we get saved, and we keep on being saved by grace through faith. So, so that generosity doesn't start with me forcing myself. It starts with me saying, God, I can't. Help me. Change my heart. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to pray, and um, Carolyn will be down here. Mark, could you just come over here? And if you need somebody just to pray that revelation down over you, or pray for something else, guys, Let's come boldly before the throne of grace. Let's come boldly before the throne of grace and believe that God will speak. Let's pray. Lord, I believe that everything happens by grace through faith in the kingdom. And I believe that you want this people to have freedom rooted in your love. To have absolute freedom rooted in your love. So Jesus, right now, I just ask you to pour out your Holy Spirit that there would be freedom rooted in your love. Freedom rooted in your love. Lord, I ask you to bind anything that's not of you, any fear of lack any lie of poverty may it be bound in Jesus' name. And Lord, I ask for a, a, a fresh revelation of you as the provider and the sustainer. 
ask for a fresh revelation. Mm. A fresh revelation of your goodness. Lord, I ask for a fresh revelation of our identity. That we would be a kingdom of priests. Lord, we love you and we thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.